0: Welcome to Healthy Choices with your host,
1: Ray Solano from Austin, Texas. We're ready for your calls right now. Call in toll free at 877-956-9566. Now, here's your host, Ray Solano. Well, hello there and welcome to Healthy Choices XM as we're broadcasting from our XM studios in Austin, Texas and we may be listening to this show on uh, Facebook Live or also on our podcast, Healthy Choices XM. I'm your host, Ray Solano, clinical pharmacist and clinical nutritionist, and we're dedicated to add choices to your health care. You have a choice in your health care, and it's always important for people to realize that you're in charge. Our phone number is 877-956-9566, or you can text us anytime during this message at 512-219-0724. A couple of quick announcements. We'd like to thank the sponsors of today's show, Prescription Dispensing Labs, better known as PD Labs, is a nationally licensed research-based specialty pharmacy focusing on custom pharmaceuticals for the treatment of brain inflammation, mold, Lyme therapies, especially check out our website, pdlabsrx.com. Take it away. There you go.
0: All right, here we go. So I thought I'd start with the conclusion. You know the real goal of understanding maintaining fat loss as individuals is really it's it's maintaining their metabolic performance and you know with each decade that becomes tougher and tougher. And really by broadening the scope of understanding what breaks in that metabolic performance as you're aging along with metabolic damage, you know we can really repair and reinvigorate you know cell, cellular energy production and then of course, the uh the burning of fat and the repair of metabolism so okay so you know this i think this is interesting you know well-fed state results in weight gain and insulin resistance and it's related to chronic disease diabetes hypertension cardiovascular disease stroke cancer and dementia um lifestyle modifications help yeah but it takes constant vigilance it's like nobody has a house nobody has a car nobody has a business that they don't have to constantly keep on top of in order to maintain their health and people want quick fixes for their weight and they don't want to have to work after it and the reality is that things like fasting can be a benefit we're going to go over that later but you know in general you know, people eat too much. You know, I mean, the average person working a farm in the late 1800s, you know, ate 1.5 meals a day and, and you know, nobody's driving home after a stressful day and stopping at the broccoli shop. You know, there's plenty of liquor stores and plenty of convenience stores and plenty of bakeries and pizzerias. And um, because of, uh, you know, our primitive nervous system, it can drive us to, you know, eating too often. We eat too late. Um, we don't move enough. We don't manage stress response very well. You know, nobody's taught, the only coping uh, techniques most of us get uh, is how to take Xanax. You know, um, we're we're not ingrained on how to prevent the reward cascade from triggering due to chronic stress or, or, you know, chronic stress and genetic predisposition and therefore triggering our uncontrolled eating behaviors and hedonic behavior. And you know we get exposed to environmental toxins, and you know I think there's plenty of literature that shows um, bacteria,s and viruses can induce weight gain. Obviously, you got the moldies out there that uh, gain weight for no apparent reason, and it's their moldy environment that's you know triggering the inflammation in their body. And then people don't rest enough. You know, uh, you know when you don't sleep, uh, your metabolism eventually starts to shut down on you, and and uh, you start to trigger insulin resistance. So in general. These are the things that we have to fight, and we have to retrain people about. And what I'm going to do today is just run through a snapshot of some of these factors, some of the interesting things that I think, at least, perk me up when I start thinking about how am I problem, you know, solving the problems of chronic fat gain in individuals. Because one of the biggest things that, you know, that we know is that just restricting calories on people. Um, or even if you, you know, you know any, any type of real, you know, caloric restriction, typically you lose about 30% lean mass with the weight loss, and you're really trying to retain your lean mass and lose your fat mass, and that's why repairing your metabolism is important, and of course no one escapes these issues today of being exposed to chemicals and radiation and pollutants and mold and you know, emotional upheaval and turmoil, and then poor nutrition. You know, where do, where do I get good food? Um, not moving. The whole aspect of uh, physiologic and psychosocial stress. I have people that train their ways into gaining weight because they overtrain themselves and shut down their metabolism. So, and obviously, I, I would probably list drug therapy in here. Lots of different drugs. You know, ask anybody that's been on Seroquel for a while if uh, they've maintained their weight, right? So there's a lot of issues that light that match of inflammation and metabolic disruption, and these are the key things we're going to go over, and, and, and we won't hit all of these full tilt because obviously we got a day and a half. But when I check the boxes with individuals, these are the things I, I typically, I, I really look at, and it's, you know, what what are they doing with their diet? Um, typically, most people are, you know, either you know, overeating, or right? I tend to chuckle when people are going to work out for an hour and they have to have a pre-workout drink, an intra-workout drink, and a post-workout drink, and their goal was to try to lose a little bit of weight. Um, stress hormones, so important. Sex hormones, important, and you know, Jen Lando will be there to talk about sex hormones role and influence and weight management. Now, metabolic hormones like insulin and thyroid, and, 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 and I mean, gut health is enormous. I'm gonna to touch on some things today. Uh, that will relate to that. Um, environmental issues, uh, vectors, um, drug therapies, all of these things, I try to think of well, what what is really going on in that person in front of me. And then more importantly, you know, how can I simply start to reset these issues? Um, you know, one of the big things, you know, that I think kind of leads to all this, if you look to the Left, you see these, you know, stress, infection, high lectin diets, disease, low stomach acid, exposure to toxins, you know, drug therapies that shift the gut, all lead to gut permeability changes, which then start to trigger things like food allergens, malnutrition, gut dysbiosis. I mean, we didn't have all the SIBO we have today. Um, toxin overload, which in the end drives this total toxic and antigenic burden. And that systemic disease, I think you can just be inclusive of. Look, we just got to face it 80% of the population is overweight, 50% are diabetic and pre diabetic, and 38% of the US population is obese, making up 40% women and 35% men. And this is a component. It's what are the inputs that trigger the metabolic fire. And one of the areas we're going to talk about uh, when. Uh, in in Austin, is this whole aspect of neuroinflammation and obesity. This is brand new research from, you know, 2017, 2018 that shows that when when you trigger neuroinflammation and, and, you know, look, neuroinflammation is triggered by a variety of things, right? It can be toxins. It can be stress response. It can be lipopolysaccharide, which I'm going to show you in a minute. But even continued high-fat diets. So I don't know how many of you have tracked, you know, your folks doing, uh, you know, ketogenic diets for long periods of time. But you know, there is a fair amount of research starting to point to the fact that you know, high-fat diets over time um, trigger hypothalamic inflammation and glial cell activation. And lo and behold, glial cells are involved in the regulation of food intake. They're just not a neuroinflammatory response. They have a lot to do with regulating leptin and ghrelin receptor vigilance. And so, you know, this is a, a really important thing to consider because in diabetes, for example, and insulin resistance, where most of those folks are having trouble with weight gain, um, lipopolysaccharide which is triggered by obviously, um, you know, microbiome death due to poor circulation or due to diet, uh, is really intimately involved in the progression of metabolic syndrome to type 2 diabetes and weight gain. And so, when you look at this particular uh, study in 2008, high-fat diet induced neuroinflammation triggered activation of stress kinases. They inhibit the downstream mediators of insulin and leptin and then create leptin and insulin resistance, and then have a homeostatic weight set point alteration. So I'm a fan of, and we're going to teach this, you know, short-term bursts of ketogenic diet, but long-term ketogenic diets, So a lot of evidence. And I, and I would say even with the folks that I, you know, worked with, you know, they start to lose energy, they start to notice that their lean mass isn't as easy to keep. I think, and, it, and maybe it's a genetic predisposition, right? But it it's out there and it's an issue. This is an interesting piece that came out that just shows when the microglia are, are at rest and you have normal HPA axis uh, feedback, you have regulation of leptin and insulin receptors, but what starts to happen as your LPS starts to upregulate and you get alterations in your microbiome, which can be triggered, by, you know, chronic inflammation, uh, that chronic inflammation and glial cell activation can lead to inflammation, you know, you know, or neuroinflammation, which then pops off a tremendous amount of inflammatory cytokines. So one of the aspects of this is how do we start to turn this off more quickly? Because this, this is where a lot of people are at. Uh, you know, their gut's off. Their appetites out of control. They're leptin resistant. They're insulin resistant, uh, and they're they're just you know machines for inflammatory cytokines. And so, obviously, you know we've talked a lot about chronic microglial activation uh, as an aspect of TBI and memory loss. And you know our work with you know synapsin is is kind of been geared that way. But it's interesting. That RG3 actually had a study posted in humans on weight loss. And it makes a lot of sense now because it it helps to, to downregulate that chronic inflammatory response. And of course, we kind of, you know, just as a a thought on this, microglial activation basically as it happens, triggers pro-inflammatory elements that actually have a systemic effect. Remember, as your interleukin-6 goes up due to either cortisol or glial activation, but any neuroinflammatory process, that IL-6 upregulation ends up leading to a leaky gut because it triggers the proteomics or the expression of claudin 2 which then causes your tight junctions to loosen up. I don't have anything else in here about that because we're in a little warm-up talk, but, but I think it's fascinating that when you begin to really step back and look at, you know, what I call whole-body metabolism, you know, we begin to see why so many people fail over time because they can't control their neuroinflammatory response, which is actually responsible for, you know, triggering these insulin-resistant, leptin-resistant, and appetite reward pathways. And you know, it's just important to understand that it. As we start to gain more fat, uh, we're going to impact a whole bunch of problems, and this is our this is our world today, right, guys? Um, in general, people's appetites are are they're overfed. I mean, and and we forgot that it's okay to be a little hungry. Uh, and as those as we start to trigger more TNF alpha, which we lost the TNF in there and the interleukin six, um, we start triggering a lot of uh in inflammatory chemistry and so you know blood pressure goes up and lipid metabolism is altered so we don't burn our lipids as efficiently and we we load triglycerides and our insulin goes down and then of course we trigger angiogenesis and upregulation of vegF, which you know left to its own devices leads to something that we're not going to talk about but is super important is the fact that People that are diabetic, insulin resistant, obese have a much higher incidence of cancer because they're creating a, you know, an environment in their mitochondria that doesn't efficiently burn fats, use oxygen, and burn glucose. And of course, you know, when we look at monocytes, uh, you know, one aspect of this is the fact that you know our monocytes should be. Um, moved from the M1 state to the M2 state. In the M2 state, um, in the metabolic two state, you have an anti-inflammatory response, and in the M1 state, when glucose is passively um, moving through,
1: we have
0: uh, more lactate, more pyruvate, and more inflammatory chemistry that's going on. So this is occurring just in skeletal muscle and the inflammatory response. The other piece that happens, and I measure this all the time, is that you know is that we start to see this downregulation of adiponectin, and you know adiponectin's really important because it's what helps the insulin receptor to get sensitive. The more you're loading fat, uh, the more that you have visceral fat, the more you turn off your adiponectin. And adiponectin's a big marker for uh, oxidation. Uh, it's a it, and obviously as your adiponectin goes low. You're more prone for atherogenesis. You're more prone for uh, inflammatory cytokines, uh, and of course, the higher your adiponectin, the lower your risk of, an, uh, of a myocardial infarction. And you know, and, and this kind of goes, and, and I, I just think that's fascinating that we start to look at from the brain to signaling of you know leptin and insulin resistance to the storing of fat to uh, this triggering of inflammatory chemistry. You know, the next piece that I think is in, you know, incredibly important, and I'd have to say, to me, this is probably the, the biggest aspect of what we do. And I know we're gonna be talking about, uh, Bill Fixler is gonna be there talking about naltrexone implants, and, and uh, we'll be discussing naltrexone implants uh, because I think, uh, originally used for addiction, but this is one of the biggest problems that, that we see is that as people start to deplete their serotonin and dopamine, they have an imbalance in their reward cascade, their cravings go up, their addictive behavior goes up, and I, and I, I mean, I've seen people have incredible food addictive properties, and they just, they simply don't know what to do to correct it. And you know we can tell them to eat better, we can straighten out their adrenal glands, we can you know we can try to detoxify them. But the bottom line is, if we don't help them regain their reward efficiency, uh, they're going to crave. And you guys have all seen this. I mean, people, you know, they come in, they've lost 30 pounds, they feel great, they hit the holidays. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, I started eating some foods I shouldn't. I put 15 back on, or I put all 30 back on. Um, it's really important for us to start to target correcting this reward cascade. And obviously, what happens under this—this this slide got cut off—but under the influence of interleukin six, lipopolysaccharide, and TNF alpha, we we push away from making serotonin and we move towards the endolamine pathway, which is kind of a classic functional medicine pathway uh, that that ends up, up triggering more more kenurinic acid and more quinolinic acid, which obviously le- leads to mood behaviors, but most importantly, I don't have serotonin. I'm going to look for I'm I'm not stopping at the broccoli shop. I'm going to figure out what bread, what bagel, what what donut, what salty chip, what alcohol I need to try to to eat. And if you notice remember interleukin 6 and TNF alpha gets triggered by neuroinflammatory response and also lipopolysaccharide is responsible for this and LPS is a big, big issue, guys. I mean, I've been lecturing about it now for probably 10 years that, you know, you've got you've to improve circulation to the gut. You've got to make sure you're balancing the microbiome because, you know, a healthy microbiome is triggering all of your satiety hormones. Whether it's GLP-1 or PYY, uh, you, you know, you, you need that as a component to it. And you know when you look at this, uh, it's interesting that uh, if I don't get that tryptophan to move to serotonin, you know it's it's this last line that I think was interesting. This was an older study actually, back in 1998. Even after weight loss, tryptophan pools do not stabilize, leading to uncontrolled cravings. So it it's the need for, for tryptophan. And the need for tryptophan to move the serotonin away from the the uh, other organic acids like kynurenate and, and uh, quinolinic acids, and and dopamine. I mean, I just think this is incredible when you start to think about this because you know just remember, I think 40% of the U.S. population has at least one gene SNP on the D2 allele uh, uh, genes that can lead towards addictive behavior. And, you know, a good, good evidence of this is, you know, people that get a gastric bypass uh, end up in many cases becoming alcoholic because they can't eat anymore. Their brain still needs a reward. So they'll either gamble or drink or smoke. Another another example of that, of course, is when you if, you know, you know, people that go to AA and, uh, and, and God bless them, they're going to AA because alcoholism is so darn dangerous. But what are they doing? They're smoking cigarettes and drinking Cokes. And so studies show that in obesity, there's a decreased number of D2 receptors. And the higher your BMI goes, the lower the expression of those dopamine receptors. And then the last one that's interesting to me is this hyperinsulinemia also de- you know, causes a deficiency and be able to clear dopamine and be able to you know you know utilize dopamine. So it creates an imbalance in the reward cascade, and that means that there's not going to be a satiety. and And some of the things I talk about with this all the time is you ever talk to people and say, "Oh, I just love food. I I you know they're in love, literally in love with food, or they eat past being full in order to to try to soothe their brain, even though they know they're full, and so the, the whole aspect of dopamine is so important. Uh, and and you know, once again, gut lipids and dopamine. There's a gut lipid messenger, and excessive dietary fat leads to dopamine deficiency. Uh, so we see this. You know, a lot of times I have people that you know they're they're uh, eating a high fat diet. It down regulates oleoethanolamine, and that's the messenger fat that restores gut stimulated dopamine release, or diet derived satiety messenger is another name for that. So, that's why, you know, so it's interesting for me. While I really think that, you know, look, I had a brain, I had a glioblastoma case in yesterday. I mean, they need to, they need to be on a high fat diet. That um, might not be the right thing for everybody. Over a long period of time, so getting people to utilize things like ketones as a part of a maybe lower carbohydrate diet to use ketones as energy makes sense. But we have to really think about with a lot of evidence that uh, you know maybe not doing such a high fat diet all the time is a good idea. Uh, and of course, gastric stimulation uh, activates the limbic and cortical regions, and that triggers cravings as well. And of course the the, uh, the, the fat intake can alter this. And so in gastric emptying, this is pretty interesting. Uh, this was a clinical study where they had you know half active exercising, half inactive non-exercisers, all the BMI between 21 and 36. Exercise improved uh, gastric emptying, improved the gut-brain axis, and then the rate of gastric emptying impacts dopamine reward. So um, yes, exercise get people moving uh at the very least get them walking uh and it can and it can have a tremendous effect actually on craving patterns so i i don't think we emphasize that enough we always think of oh yeah exercise you burn fat well it's more than that exercise and i i impact my serotonin and dopamine in my reward cascade Then the next piece that I think is interesting, and I know I'm just kind of hitting things sparsely, but I'm just trying to show you guys the two days we're going to have together and the topics that we're going to go through. This kind of speaks to the the fact of stress that, you know, as people start to lose their vagal tone, and we lose vagal tone under chronic duress, right? We continue with sympathetic tone. And a a good good example how you can lose it is just being insulin resistant in hell. 38% of the population's insulin resistant right now that at least we categorize. I think it's more if we take a stricter look at it. Because when you're insulin resistant, you have a chronic upregulation of adrenaline and noradrenaline. But whether it's due to insulin resistance or stress or neuroinflammation that is causing us to lose vagal tone. Our cholinergic tone, as we lose our parasympathetic balance to that sympathetic drive, and that loss of tolerance triggers a pro-inflammatory response, alters our, our immune and more importantly, that pro-inflammatory response will start to trigger, as well, our hedonic urges and reward cascade. So I think this is fascinating. I don't think we talk we talk about this enough. You know, I always tell people by the time your heart rate variability is out of balance, you're really, you know, all the way down the stream in big trouble. You want to you want to get on this before you get into either, you know, heart rate recovery problems from exercise or, you know, poor heart rate variability. And one of the big things that I that I think is important to think about is how do we balance that? So this was a great study back in 2007 that showed that when you use cholinergic agonists, it inhibits inflammatory cytokines and then protects against cytokine-mediated inflammation. So what's that mean? So what what it means is, is if we can use some cholinergic agonists, so phospholipids are one of them, you know, huperzine is one, Hey, deep, deep breathing can help as a cholinergic agonist. Um, We start to rebalance vagal tone. It reduces inflammatory cytokine signaling from the brain down that we talked about earlier. And so, you know, the purpose of of kind of our weekend is going to be what are some higher order things we can do that sets the table from the brain down? Or someone to lose weight. And whether that's look, sex hormones are very powerful that way, um, or the use of naltrexone implants because of, you know, obviously they've been used in addictive behaviors. We started looking at them for addictive behaviors to drugs. We've, you know, over the last year and a half started looking at it as an, a, a way of helping to control that addictive. Um, cascade, and you know the interesting thing you'll learn is about you um, know versus naltrexone salts. What are the you know what are the nuances of having a stable naltrexone implant? And of course, implants are interesting if you're a doc because it's a procedure, and uh, and they can last three to four months and really help people to quell their craving patterns. And this is kind of the sympathetic nerve overactivity. Uh, It's just a quick graph that shows you that overeating and chronic thermogenesis leading to insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia leads to central nervous system overactivity. And then insulin resistance leading to hyperinsulinemia, increasing MPY, sympathetic overactivity. Visceral fat triggering leptin resistance. Same thing, sympathetic overactivity. So if you look at the top, look at everything that's driving the imbalance between sympathetic and parasympathetic tone. And of course, at the bottom, you see the net effect of sympathetic overactivity, decreased muscle blood flow, decreased glucose uptake, um, you know, decreased thermogenesis, and of course, weight gain. This is a, I think this is a beautiful summary slide of what happens to our bodies. And look, guys, by default, we're fight or flight, you know, beings, right? I mean, we're still a primitive nervous system in a modern world. So when somebody posts something on Facebook your email doesn't work, or you're having trouble getting the PowerPoint to come up on, on GoToWebinar, you we, we know, the adrenaline courses and, and we drive that sympathetic heart rate and we drive pulse rate. And, and this is the way we are wired. It's why it's hard for people to lose weight. Until you balance out their nervous system, they're going to move towards fat deposition, weight gain, and chronic inflammatory response. And this is just kind of a you know little more summary, the vagus nerve being important. You know, we think of the vagus nerve as, oh, your blood pressure's up. Well, yeah, I look at your blood pressure, and I go, hey, if you're 130 over 90, you're firmly in the grasp of a vagus tone issue. And the vagal nerve, you know, has to do with cholinergic signaling. That's why you give alpha GPC. That's why you do things like cupraxene. And it's just realizing that the vagus nerve really regulates immune function and pro-inflammatory response. And when you dysregulate it, it's, you know, directly correlated to chronic inflammation and obesity. And it absolutely leads to insulin resistance. I just thought I would put the, you know, the, uh, the, the sighting here that, correlates this imbalance in sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and weight gain and you know i you know I think that you know as you look at this the, the you know it, it it's important to kind of i just reiterated what I just said before it's the same slide actually and then you know looking at heart rate variability can be you know really important and that's really heart rate variability is just the ability of the individual to increase or decrease their heart rate based on stress response and you know one of the biggest things i look for is things like you know heart rate recovery after somebody does a aerobic activity that's a simple thing that they can do and we'll talk about that and you know when you look at this it's a big deal because all of us understand that heart rate's pretty important but you know you know evidence is strong that resting heart rates inversely related to lifespan the slower the heart rate the longer the life now that's up to of course of heart failure but uh the reality is is that 62 is the cutoff guys you know for every four points over 62 indicates a 70 7 to 10 percent mortality risk so if your resting heart rate is above 62 you got to get to work and it also predicts mortality um, so if you look at low heart rate variability in a two-minute rhythm strip predicts the risk of heart disease and mortality from several causes this was a study back in 2000 and then high variability leads to increased longevity more parasympathetic innervation so I you know I don't think we think about these kind of things enough with our weight loss folks we go oh, oh your cortisol is high your blood sugar's off your thyroid's low we need to detox you we all talk about well how do you know you're managing their stress? Has their heart rate improved? Has their blood pressure come down? What's their post-exercise heart rate like? Because you got to get back to that vagal tonicity in order to really get them where they need to be. Um, and I just made a list here of some things that you can do for decreasing sympathetic dominance. You know, Cut the sugar down, omega-3 fatty acids, B vitamins, gut health. I mean, the old cold shower thing's pretty popular right now. Everybody's talking about it. I love teaching people deep breathing exercises, you know, do the box breath technique for, you know, three minutes, uh, you know, three times a day. Doing things like yoga and Tai Chi. um, Those of you that are into manipulation, whether it's osteopathic or chiropractic or by physical therapy or, uh, you know, uh, other methods, um, good news sex helps with the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's good. Acupuncture, massage. Don't overdo alcohol. I'm not saying people shouldn't drink alcohol. It's just when you drink alcohol a lot, you drive sympathetic dominance and of course hydrate. People don't hydrate. And then interesting, people that are sympathetic dominant don't chew their food. Uh, And I think you see that all the time when people say, oh, I'm the fastest eater, I'm always in a rush. Right, you're sympathetic dominant. So the last thing I want to go over, and I, I know I'm uh, I'm closing in on time here, but we got started a little bit late, is the whole thought of, you know, people eat too late, and you know, really, the more the later you eat, the more you blunt your your you, know, you affect your cortisol, the more you create a flattening of your cortisol curve. You don't oxidize your carbs as good. Your resting energy expenditure goes down. These are big problems and you know just like all the hormones just like all the hormones we release in a 24-hour clock when you don't eat during the day night cycle and i usually tell people look try to keep it to seven to seven if you want to do a restricted feed and go 11 to seven that's fine there's some evidence that says you should get something in for breakfast what i usually have people do is take some chia seeds and protein and psyllium in the morning or have them fast um, actually Prolon's got a cool fast bar out now that's a high fat bar that kind of mimics fasting. But this is a, this slide, um, it just quickly shows the importance of why you should be not eating at night, what's going on. You're taking in food during the day in order to repair at night. The later we go into our night eating, the more we affect our circadian metabolism of food and the way we generate energy in our body. And it's probably one of the biggest things that we try to do when we do fast is we try to trigger um, autophagy. And autophagy uh, is important because it really triggers um, eating up old proteins and helping cells to be more in- immunologic uh, sound, uh, removing damaged mitochondrial cells, reducing uh, damps and PAMPs, and of course the DAMPs are important because they trigger inflammasomes, which create chronic inflammation. Uh, so this is kind of an important uh, area. I don't need to go over this in too much detail because I'm going to do it over the you know you know over our time and together when we're in Austin. But the bottom line is is that one of the most effective things you can do is some sort of either intermittent fast or the use of like uh, fasting mimic diet and and uh, you know fasting. Uh, helps to chronically downregulate mTOR and help to reset IGF-1. IGF-1's good, mTOR is good. mTOR is good for for helping uh, put muscle on. But but you need a periodic break to clean the carpet, so to speak, of your cells. And being able to do fasting or some sort of periodic fasting, even some time-restricted eating, is a good way to help to, to begin to stimulate this and of course, these are the things that start to happen. If you look to the right, neurogenesis is improved, inflammation is reduced. You enhance autophagy. You help to reset sympathetic tone. You see that parasympathetic tone's increased with intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. Uh, this was a study in mice, uh, but nonetheless, it's been you know there's been interesting studies in humans that kind of lead to this as well. So I'll go through this in detail. But if you look here, decreased resting heart rate, increased heart rate variability, decreased blood pressure. These are big things that help you manage your metabolism. So when you are detoxifying people, when you are trying to get their cortisol to get under control, when you are trying to give them things to get their insulin receptors working, they can do it. I love the fasting mimic diet. We're going to go over it during those two days. I think this is a fast way to help reset people. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave it at you know you know Dr. Longa developed it out of uh, the Keck Center at, at uh, USC. More and more studies coming out. Some 24 studies are going on this year on the effects of fasting mimicry. And uh, I think it's pretty important actually because one of the things that's good about this is if you could get people to do uh, a fasting mimic diet, say five days out of a month for 90 days, like five days and 25 days, be more responsible with their eating, including time-restricted eating and re- and, and getting them to not eat so late they can have a tremendous impact on their weight management. So obviously with fasting mimicry, you get the benefits of cell regeneration because of stem cell activation, autophagy is triggered by day two, which means you start to clean up and eat up uh, old proteins and clean up all all, all the vacuoles in your cells. And this is just a study. I want to finish it up now. I mean, I've, I've, I've tried to get through this quick. I know, Ray, you're probably going to ask me something, I, I hope. Uh, this is a 2017 study on 100 people, 71 completing three cycles of fasting-mimic diet. This is in humans, not in rats. Uh, five days of FMD for three months. Glucose got better. IGF-1 uh, improves. Stem cells increased. Body weight, about 5.7 pounds lost. Abdominal fat increase. Uh, uh, increased burning of abdominal fat, waist circumference goes down, lean body mass improves, systolic, diastolic improve, and then cholesterol's better. So I hope you guys got a little jazzed up about some pretty high-level concepts about weight loss that I don't think you've been talked to too much about on everything from lipopolysaccharide glial cell activation and the effect of the uh, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system to um, things that we're going to teach that will be what I'd say global reset patterning to help everything from the reward cascade to these chronic inflammatory issues that are going on in individuals. And so, Ray, I'm going to leave it there. I hope I got a few people to go up.
1: You you did, and I see a lot of uh, positive response here. And if anybody wants to ask Jim a question, just raise your hand, go to the... Go to your, uh, I guess you have a little hand on your uh, webinar screen, and we'll be able to unmute you and ask Jim uh, any questions you may have for us. Let me see if anybody says, okay, we got Carrie here. Let me, uh, Carrie? Yes,
0: uh, y- Yes. Uh, awesome uh, presentation, as always, uh, Dr. Lavelle. But, but um, I was wondering
1: if you in the morning you said you do chia seeds and could you just repeat that morning regimen? Well, what I do in the
0: morning? Yeah. Oh, it's so simple. And I got to tell you, I even repeat I have people repeat it at night because it really influences appetite. I do like a like a, a healthy tablespoon of chia seeds with about two teaspoons of psyllium and then I'll use collagen protein with it. Uh, and then if you want to blend it with something else, like I'll throw green powder in with it, you know, and drink that in the morning and the fiber just creates satiety. It it um, pretty much does something to give them some kind of nourishment in the morning to get going. Uh, and I do that in the morning and at night I'll have people repeat the fiber, uh, especially like after seven if they're having trouble with their hunger. I'll just have them do chia seeds and, and psyllium again, and uh, maybe just one teaspoon of psyllium at that point, and have them shake it up with some water and and down it, and all of a sudden they're feeling full and satisfied, because it's all about getting that, that gut to tell that brain that you're not hungry. And and what was the name of that power, power bar? Who makes that protein? Oh, you mean bar? fasting bar? The, the yes. fast bar is made by Prolon, P R O L O N. And uh, I mean, I think we're going to have Prolon folks down there at the uh, at the event. Yeah, we will.
1: They're going to be yes. one of our sponsors.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Okay, okay great. Great. Right. Hey, Thank you. Uh-huh.
1: And Vinny, we've got a, I see your hand up. Vinny, are you, let's see, self muted. Do you have a question, Vinny? I see. Yes, hand raised for one second. Well, maybe not. Uh, ask the question Question is, lowering sympathetic tone seems so difficult in severe patients, meaning hyperhidrosis, excessive belly fat, systemic inflammation. How do we handle the severe patients?
0: Well, I, I mean, I think that's what we're going to go over in the in the course of the weekend. You've got to go through things step by step with them. I mean, I think I think one of the biggest things I find is people don't um, get that sympathetic dominance under control, uh, and and so it's it's these combination of well, what what's triggering it? Um, you know, is it stress? You know, is is, is it just that they're overcommitted or is it something else? You know, do they have some kind of toxicity? Um, is it the fact that they're low in magnesium and their serotonin pools low? And, and they're, I mean, I can tell you right now, I've given people something as simple as phospholipids, like uh, choline complexes, like phosphatidylcholine, alpha GPC, phosphatidylethanolamine, phosphatidylserine. I've just given them that and I've completely, it's it's created tremendous changes in individuals because if you don't have phospholipids, there's no way to make acetylcholine, and you know nobody's eating organ foods or eating you know choline rich foods these days. You know so you know I I think that'll be the purpose of our talk over the of uh, course of the weekend is is having a more um complete presentation in these segments and saying all right here's what you do for stress. Here's how you manage choline. Now here's what you do for lipopolysaccharide. Uh and then begin to organize those things because you can't throw everything at somebody at once. Anyway, their their ability to do it all typically erodes relatively quickly. One of the quickest things I've found that resets people is it, and, and it really has done quite well for most people is doing that 5-day fasting mimic diet.
1: Well great. Well, doctor, we're going to have you back on again. We'll consider this the first of many series uh, for when to get the word out on how you can make choices in your healthcare today that may change your life. You're listening to Healthy Choices XM, whereas we will be back again. All of our past broadcasts can be seen on our Healthy Choices XM podcast that's listed in the Apple Store and also on our website, PDLabsRx.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of Healthy Choices XM. Hi, this is Ray Solano, host of Healthy Choices on Cirrus XM and owner of PD Labs Specialty Pharmacy. I'm here to help you develop a healthy immune system. It takes 45 to 60 days to develop a healthy immune system. So it's really important to start now with some very simple steps. First, exercise. Just walking 20 minutes a day or movement is one of the best things to start with and also include some fruits and vegetables and eliminate sugar from your diet. PD Labs has the tools you'll need to control your health. We are a compounding pharmacy, which means our specialty is providing dosages customized for each of individual needs. You know, your focus this month should be winterizing your system for it with some healthy supplements and a highly effective winter immune kit that we have put together. Go to our website, pdlabsrx.com, and, you know, call our trained staff at 512-219-0724. You know, get started today. Mention you heard me, Ray Solano, and you receive a free shipping with your order.